Welcome, everybody, to your favorite day of the week. I'm Anthony Irwin. I'm joined by Adam Mattis. Adam, I'm not going to make the same joke again. Are you- <laughs> this is Yeah, so this is take two. Anthony made a horrible joke, and I am so glad that we had to do a second take so that our show doesn't start completely off of the wheels. This is a Friday show, Anthony. We have to get people excited. They're relaxed. They don't want to hear your stupid Lakers jokes. All right, I won't, I won't tell my Lakers joke, but we did have a coach fight. We did have it. That was now. That's where you should start off. I mean, you want to talk about sending people off into their weekend? Holy crap! <laughs> Zero punches punched, pulled. That was incredible. I'm so, sure that'll <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I think we can open with it. I mean, it's such yeah. a small story. We're not going to spend long. But March, Mark Jackson tonight on the broadcast. I guess this is where it started. I mean, I mean, it's kind of a. Kind of a small like start and a big finish. <laughs> uh, I think uh, Jeff Fingundi, somebody said something about him not playing, being able to play defense, and then Mark Jackson said that's because he never had coaches that could teach him or something to that. He referred to it's the coach's fault that that Mello wasn't a good defender until the very one moment in time that he played good defense at Portland. And first of all, fair or foul? Because I feel like that's a little outside the lines. That's a little like, – look, he is calling out very specific coaches a little bit. All right. I think it was foul in this yeah. context. Yeah. But because it's a misdemeanor. We, but because we never ever ever hear coaches go at each other, yeah. I'm all for it. Give me <laughs> it, man. Give me it. <laughs> this was this was a misdemeanor. And then George Carl off the top rope <laughs> said, I heard Mark Jackson. This is on Twitter. I heard Mark Jackson is taking shots at my defensive coaching during tonight's broadcast. Remind me. How many all-star teams did you coach, Mark? How many defensive player of the years? How many finals appearances? How many of my teams became dynasties after I left? <laughs> that, that's, the, that's the conversation ender. That's that, it right there. That's swatting a fly with a bazooka right there. <laughs> I mean, Mark Jackson brought it to one. George Carl brought it to a hundred. And, and then Mark Jackson replies, of course, he has to get a light in here as well. Wasn't even thinking of you. Like, come on. Really? Wait, what? Yeah, hold on. <laughs> what? <laughs> Are you sure about this? Wasn't even thinking of you. I was talking about those other, of course. Wasn't even thinking of you. By the way, I never lost you in the playoffs as a player or as a coach. God bless you and yours. Man. We don't get this very often. You're right, man. Coaches fighting. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's bad for the world, but it was good for the first three minutes of our show. I also like that the entire starting point of all of this is Carmelo Anthony playing one successful play of defense. <laughs> and it's because LeBron has been going so easy on him in this series. It's oh, been yeah. incredible. <laughs> I love I love George Carl. It's not just because he's one of the greatest Nuggets coaches in history. It's also because I have a podcast with him. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you <laughs> might be a little biased here, but might you know what? It's, you guys have, yeah, you guys should go check it out. Uh, today's show. Any better that might have than, been the best. Yeah. yeah. Now we have to talk about yeah. basketball. No, I'm excited. There's actually a lot. I mean, come on, man. This is, um, th- this is our first weekend to talk about these actual games, and there's been some twists and turns. There have been so uh the bucks lost their first game i the first times ever that both won the opening games so you had the things up the lakers had to tie things up the look like a juggernaut they look like a buzzsaw against the thunder they early and still won fairly handily poor chris tonight 
Because that's where I wanted to start it. Uh, because, you know, it looks like the only one that is going to be. Have you noticed anything from, from you know, Miami? Anything that Indiana might be able to do to get back even? Or do you think this is just how things go? This game wasn't necessarily as close as it seems. I mean, it's a nine-point game, but I felt like Miami was in control um, quite a bit. But I don't think they were so – there are some series we're going to talk about where I just – you know, I, I didn't – either I didn't think they were going to be competitive going in, and I think they'll get less competitive going, going forward. This wasn't one of them. This is, this is one that I do think Indiana still is in this series and has a chance, but obviously going down three games, the, you know, that would, that would pretty much be the nail in the coffin. They need more I – mean, I hate to say it, they need more out of T.J. Warren. 14 yeah. points tonight on 15 shots. This was, Anthony, the MVP of the bubble going up against his arch nemesis in uh, Jimmy Butler. And I think it's a pretty resounding. But what's interesting to me is that the teams that have not been able to get into the paint and collapse the defense, those are the teams that are struggling. And I think Indiana sort of is representative of that. They're not getting the easy stuff. They're not getting a lot of, you know, the types of shots that you want, the catch and shoot shots, the at the rim shots, um, you know. Th- so to me, they can get in it. They have to have the their best players. That includes Brogdon. That includes Oladipo. That includes T.J. Warren. They need those guys to play up to the level that is expected of them. None of them did that today, and uh, and to me, that's that's why they're down 0-2. This is now a few matchups where T.J. Warren has been limited below his averages on not just the season, but especially the bubble, and every single one of these games it's jimmy going out of his way to make sure to to make it known and make tj warren know that he's about this matchup and he really looks forward to this matchup in ways that you know and and warren is a quiet guy he's not really the kind of guy who's really going to go out and talk a whole bunch of crap anyway but he just really doesn't seem interested in this He doesn't seem – I don't even know what that means, he doesn't seem interested. I mean, I look, there. I'm sure there's some of this going on. Sometimes a guy has a player's number and then 14 points tonight for T.J. Warren. Of course, that's below the average. But I think you have can't, – we can't narrow this down, reduce it just to that storyline. I mean, Miami right now, the way I think that they defend, the way that they're on a string, and then the way just that they get movement around the court. They just – watching their off-ball players, and of course they're the star of their off-ball movement is Duncan Robinson, just watching those guys and the way they operate, they look to me like a well-oiled machine right now. 24 points for Duncan Robinson on 7 of 8 shooting, all of those being three-point shots. I just feel like right now they're the better team, and as much as I do think this, the Pacers are still in the series, to me through two games, you couldn't mistake which was the better team. Yeah, I, I'm not saying what you're saying is unfair. I just think you know, I, I look at, at at TJ's kind of demeanor when when TJ is starting to talk to him, and and at no point does he like try to go back at him. And again, maybe it just isn't that isn't the kind of person that he is. That isn't the kind of guy that he is. But you would think at some point, while Butler is making a point of clowning you and doing the talk thing and and all that stuff, that you would say something to him, and 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 it just hasn't happened. So I think it's like a it's a combination, and the stuff that you're talking about, I think, is a bigger factor. But for Warren specifically. 
it's just it's been wild to see the kind of the kind of player he was previously, and then how the difference that it's made the, the last few times that they played Miami because they played before the playoffs started and it was ugly too. I'll, I'll say it'll stick in his you know it'll really be a thorn in his side if he if this series goes the way that it has for two games because he's had such a fantastic bubble. I think it's a great story at a great end of the season you know in the month of March. For him to go out this way, playing this way, I think would be really painful. So I'm curious to see what happens as the series moves to Indiana. Actually, (laughs) actually moves to Miami. Yeah, actually moves to Miami. (laughs) Oh no! Uh, The next, (laughs) the next matchup here uh, between the OKC Thunder and the Houston Rockets. The Rockets have now played two games without Russell Westbrook and have looked like the much better team. Uh, they, spoiler alert, I think that's they, they look like what they are in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, Houston's one of the stories of the bubble, of, of the playoffs, I think, so far. I mean, they have looked absolutely fantastic, and it's not just about the three-point shot tonight. They, you know, they made 19 threes, which is a, a heck of a lot, but the, vo- the, the efficiency wasn't necessarily there. Eric Gordon tonight, 0 of 10 from the three-point line. But it's not just that. It's also the way that they just, the you know, their defense, the way they switch, the way they have really denied the post in this game. I mean, you look at Steven Adams tonight. I know that Chris Paul stands out um, as that minus 36 in his minutes. I mean, he had a, he was in the torture chamber tonight offensively, just so disrupted what they were trying to do. But they tried to play Steven Adams tonight. They tried to get him the ball, and Houston just so prepared for punishing that in a way that I think we talked about Houston and how small they are in the last couple years. It's been, you know, the small ball revolution. The way they were able to completely dominate Steven Adams, four for four from the field tonight, just eight points in 30 minutes, even though he has a massive both height and strength advantage. The way he's able to do that, um, yeah, I I think this is real discouraging for not just Oklahoma City Thunder, but really encouraging for Houston and their ability to to sort of turn this playoffs into their, their brand of basketball. All I'm asking as a Laker fan is for OKC to make him work a little bit. I don't think it's coming. This is one series <laughs> that I think uh, that I, I I mean we're talking about this without Russell Westbrook, by the way, who has turned into yeah. Coach Brody on the sidelines. Um, but <laughs> so I, I this is a team that I think is looking like the best version of themselves relative to what can be expected inside the bubble so far. It's very early, but so far. Last two games here, the Bucks and Lakers, both one seeds, even up their series at one uh, win apiece between, uh, in the Bucks' case, the, the Bucks and the Magic, and then the Lakers and the Blazers. Uh, the Look, the Lakers just kind of, they made shots and they just kind of beat the hell out of the Blazers. So I don't really know how much more there is to talk about there. But uh, for okay. the Bucks, I, I still kind of think there are still runs that Orlando makes that just really stand out in a way that it shouldn't between a one and an eight seed um maybe i think you're seeing what you want to see there to be honest with you i mean this was another game that was not close i mean you look at the yeah. halftime sc- halftime score in this one it it, it i mean the the, the story was, was yeah i mean it was 43 to 64 i mean that's a you're talking about a 21 point deficit for orlando so did they make a run you know, in the fourth quarter, a little bit, but this is just to me. This was Milwaukee making the proper adjustments that they they, they needed to make in this game, and it was also a story of of them bouncing back against what I thought was some really weird defensive decision making against the Orlando Magic. The Orlando Magic finding their shot in Game One, but I'm one game away from in this series. If Milwaukee takes care of business here uh, on Saturday. I think that this year, I think we'll just chalk up that game one to a, a little bit more of a fluke and maybe not such an ominous thing for Milwaukee. 
Yeah, I would I would probably tend to agree. I would especially if they win that game in Orlando, you know, in front of that Orlando <laughs> home crowd. <laughs> uh I quick point on that before we move on and, and, and talk lottery stuff here in the second segment. It is a huge bummer that we aren't gonna get like the, the you'd have two eight seeds with home games where they have a home court advantage against a one seed here. And maybe, you know, Orlando isn't really the the, the kind of playoff atmosphere that you know, is, is is historically noted as as it is up in Portland, especially for the Lakers. Like you ask any Laker fan, and that is not a place that they are very comfortable with the Lakers playing. The game, the the, the series would be going to Utah, and and that thing is split up between right. them and yeah. Denver. You know, this is yeah. it's kind of a bummer that you know, and 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 while. <laughs> looking bigger picture this is a huge whiny complaint on my part because this has been kind of a miracle what they've been able to pull off in orlando but but just for the sake of these individual games and the scenes it's kind of a bummer we aren't getting it strong agree and i do think it even affects a little bit i mean it could be overstated but it does affect some things i think rookies not having to go i mean a lot of this is young players the first timers this is your first playoff experience oh i'm used to a crowd no you're not used to a playoff crowd i think some of those yeah. things are, are are that's where you really feel it the most but again it's even for all teams and i do think that there have been playoff games where i'm watching it and it's the third quarter and it's tight and i think this doesn't quite feel like playoff intensity there's not quite that edge to this just yet but maybe we'll yeah. get it as these series progress i uh, yeah i would i would probably agree all right let's take a quick second here and when we come back we're going to talk about the knicks continuing their 30 year losing streak all right so this is a lottery that is already under interesting circumstances or different circumstances because they don't have the big studio show. It was kind of funny to see them throw to these people that are supposed to be reacting to their team being pulled. And there's that zoom lag. So they just kind of like stare into the camera for two seconds uh, with with no real reaction as things are kind of going on. But uh, overall, given the, 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 the sense that there is that there is no superstar who's available at, at the top pick, this is kind of a really weird draft where even if they were all in that studio show i'm not sure you would have gotten the great reaction to oh hell yeah minnesota jumped to the two to the one spot god i hate anthony sometimes i just want to punch you um you wouldn't have cared you th- sometimes you say people wouldn't have cared. you're just said you're you're a stand-in for what you're actually trying to say you wouldn't have cared but i think there's a lot of people out there of course a lot of them in minnesota um and then not only that you know minnesota is a team that they have some young, but not so young that maybe you want a an eighteen year old, nineteen year old type player. So there's intrigue. Golden State, of course, being number two. Um, you know, Chicago and Charlotte. There, I think there's some intrigue about will this be a year that the top picks get moved. Um, either way, I, I think it's you know there's there's still things that are interesting about who won. I mean, I, I guess if that's what you're saying, you know, that that yes, of course, I'm not saying that like Minnesota shouldn't be thrilled about winning or not winning the the moving up in the lottery or that Knicks fans should take this as like another kick to the nether regions as as Knicks fans. I I I get that those 
those fan bases would be excited to to win this thing because you always want to be able to to get better position because of the return on the pick that you might be me- looking to move or or the better chance at drafting a really good player or whatever. But it's not like normal years where like last year if Minnesota jumps up and and is able to draft Zion, the re- the reaction to that, I mean the 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 reaction that they had in New Orleans went viral of course. because of how thrilled they were to 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 be able to get Zion on and Zion and and you know this year's just a little bit different and you know it's just I, I'm interested in your thoughts on because there isn't the superstar does that frame you know what the top me and also because of the type of teams that are drafting there Minnesota isn't your typical rebuilding team Golden State was a champion a season ago uh Chicago Two obviously ago, is really sure. rebuilding yeah yeah um yeah Feels and like then, they were you know Charlotte's ago. Yeah, so the the two teams at the top, the very top of this draft, are both you know playoff contenders, and yet there they are sitting on top of the draft. and And I'm wondering because there isn't a superstar, what that means for either the decisions that they make, and then especially you know based on the decisions that they make, the trickle down effect throughout the lottery from there. I think Golden State probably feels that way more than than anyone else. Minnesota a little bit, as you mentioned, they got some players that you know uh, they could. Con- I can see them talking themselves into being a piece away. So maybe if that had the value to sort of get them a Bradley Beal type player, um, you know, if they could put a package together now that included this, bring in a Bradley Beal, I could see them trying to make that jump. But I think for the rest of these teams, I just don't think they think that way. I think front offices talk themselves into being able to start with a guy, you know, um, get a player in. They talk themselves into their own guys. You you sort of own their rights for seven, eight years when you do it this way. And um, so I think for a lot of the teams that did not luck out and get to the top today, I, I do think that there are going to be some steals in the middle of this lot of the, you know, the first 14 picks here. But I don't know that everybody is going to be looking at, at it as like, oh, it doesn't matter what you get. Yeah, I really do hope, and this kind of is a general point with all of drafts, you see so many guys evaluated solely based on where they were drafted, and this year, more than any other year that I can really really remember uh, recently, I really hope that like Minnesota doesn't hold whoever they take at the top pick to, no, you have to change our franchise the way that all number one picks are supposed to change your franchise. Same goes for two and three and maybe even all the way down to five. That's just, it's it's always been kind of a backwards way of thinking about things. And this year especially, I, I hope that that analysis, you know, becomes a, at least a little bit more nuanced. You also throw in just the fact that we didn't see the March Madness. We didn't see. We haven't seen a lot of these yeah. guys. I mean, we're talking about eighteen-year-olds, nineteen-year-olds. We haven't seen these guys play in five, six months. By the time the draft gets along, it'll be seven, eight, nine. So, um, it's a really. I, this will be. I think. I think. I do think there'll be some rand, sense of randomness to this draft and how it goes. Yep. The other big news that came out of Lottery Night was an interview that Adam Silver, Commissioner Adam Silver, had with Re- Rachel Nichols of ESPN, in which he said, quote, I'd say des- December 1st, right now that we're working through this season, is feeling a little bit early to me uh, when asked about the return date or, or the startup date of next year's uh, season. He continues, I think our number one goal is to get fans back in our arenas. So my sense is, in working with the Players Association, if we could push back even a little longer and increase the likelihood of having fans in arenas, that's what we would be targeting. Uh, That 
seems completely realistic, although, you know, even while it might be a bit of a bummer because, you know, <laughs> the sooner we can get basketball all over again, the better. I never thought that the early part of December sounded realistic to me. I mean, we're it's yeah. crazy watching these guys right now, just seeing the state of the world still with, with the pandemic and how much it's disrupted life. I just don't know that you're going to go right back into a series. I mean, December's not that far away. We're already in the point of the season where people are counting down the days to Christmas. So uh, it feels – December 1st is going to come up really quickly. This news is not shocking to me. Um, and I do think that the season will be here maybe earlier. It'll feel early when it arrives. But I, I never thought December 1st was going to be the day. I always thought Christmas or maybe just slightly before Christmas made the most sense. That way you get, you know, the opening night buzz. And then maybe a week later, you jump right right, right into one of the marquee days and evenings of, of the typical NBA season. But the further they put this push this back, the more difficult it becomes trying to, if the, the players don't like playing it, just starting their season and ending their season where they would have to, uh, trying to get back to the typical campaign and... You know, if if that's something that the players' association seems is is interested in, and based on some of the players' responses when asked about the stuff, it seems to be. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the, the the NBA balances how you know getting a realistic start date in place, and then also potentially working their way back to your typical October to June type season. Yeah. Uh, logistics as well. I mean, there's just the NBA has a lot of sort of figuring things out between now and then, and they sprinted to get it done in time for this bubble. They're going to have another sprint coming up really quickly in short order. Yep. Let's take a, a quick second here, and when we come back, we are going to do. We're going to return. It's been a while since we did your typical power rankings, uh, where we just talk about the state of these teams given where they're at right now. So uh, once we come back from that, Adam is going to give us his top ten teams uh, that he has seen. Just in, in the way power rankings, because he always feels the need to explain this to me. Uh, we're gonna he's going to explain his thinking on these decisions, and <laughs> and then and then try to talk me into uh, why he has certain teams where he has them. All right, Adam. So I'll let you start by just a general set of rules that you tried to abide while you were putting this list together. Power rankings are so dumb. This is why we invented this as our the our <laughs> final Friday thing is that power rankings are inherently saying we're going to overemphasize recency. We're going to just lean into re recency bias and we're going to just make up, you know, it, it's really just a gut feel like this is what I feel like. So that's what this is. I'm going off of two games inside the bubble, throw out all records, throw everything out. This is two games in the bubble. I am now power ranking which teams look best. And my method for doing this is my gut. <laughs> Did you eat a good meal? Like, did that? <laughs> is there any? <laughs> is there any uh, indigestion that that you know might be leading to a little bit more reactionary? Or no, do, you, well, do you feel I will, pretty good? I, no, I feel terrible, and in large part, it's because <laughs> this first team, which is actually the tenth, we're only doing the top ten. Um, there's sixteen yeah. teams. It just take too long for us to get into it. Um, but if we get to the top yep. ten, just barely making the cut is my beloved Denver Nuggets. Um, you know, they are 1-1 in the series, which is great. They have had some areas to be kind of encouraged by, but 
the butt kicking that they received in game two and Donovan Mitchell right now averaging, I believe, 46 or 47 points per game in the series <laughs> and on like 80% shooting, I don't think Denver can feel that good. But they are 1-1. And they do have at least some things that are going from them. Utah's a good team, so it's not like they're losing to you know some bad team. Um, I, I to me, Denver was the number ten team on my power rankings. This is kind of perfect because this feels like the NBA TV spot of the power rankings. Yeah, and that's the, kind yeah, of there you go. It's true. Denver's destiny, uh, or as Michael Malone <laughs> says, the Oxygen Network. He uh, he referenced the Oxygen <laughs> Network. <laughs> um, so uh, number man. nine, number nine. We're gonna get spicy here. Are you ready for some spice? Yes, the Los Angeles Clippers, number nine. Holy crap. Well, I, I overheard you kind of talking to yourself on this stuff, and there was a scenario here where they weren't in your top ten at all. <laughs> well, as I was getting down the list, I mean, for a while there. But, I mean, Anthony, I, you're not the most objective person on this, unfortunately. But I'm still going to ask I, I'm still going to ask you, though, is, is there anything you've seen just in two games? Again, we're, this is what, that's why power rankings are dumb. In these two games <laughs> that make you think the Clippers are the favorites to win the championship this year. I mean, all right, I'm supposed to only go off of these two games, so no, you know. If you watch the first, I don't know, three minutes of the Dallas series game one, yeah, late Clippers-Dallas, I was like, oh, God, the Clippers are winning the title in four. It's going to be a (laughs) 16-game run to the title. They got out to that 18-2 start. I think since that moment, the Clippers have looked rather pedestrian. Their flaws have sort of been on, on display. I mean, we talk about them being this elite defense. That has not been the case. Uh, we talk about them being this very reliable. There's guys you can't stop. That too has not necessarily been the case. Um, they, to me, they just look beatable. Now, I do think this is going to change between now and next week. But again, going off of just what we've seen in the playoffs, to me, they don't look like the team that's going to win it this year. I think one thing that a lot of people have done throughout this season with the Clippers is looked at the value or the, the talent that's on that roster and just said that is just too talented a roster to have chemistry affect them at all. Yeah. And and in this situation, given how weird it is, how much time these guys have to spend around each other, just you know the the the, the basically isolation from everything else that might be able to distract them from some of those chemistry issues, like that doesn't exist in this bubble that they're in. And the the that combined with the lack of cohesion because of how few minutes they played together, not only over over the course of the season, but especially in the bubble. And and here you are going up against the best offense uh not just in this season but in in one of the best historical offenses ever and they look like that again i mean the thing you hope is that if 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 you're the clippers the thing you hope is that you're going to make them look like less than that they haven't yeah and and i think for me like you said not the most biased observer here but i will say that defense is where chemistry really shows up the most it's it's a it's a it's a commitment to sacrificing for the person next to you and being on a on a string and and understanding the principles and and committing to those principles that doc rivers puts in place and his defensive staff puts in place and you especially have to be strong on that end against this team, and they haven't been. And that is the kind of thing that maybe does improve over the course of this series. But right now, these first two games, when they absolutely need stops, especially when Patrick Beverly wasn't playing, they haven't been able to get him. To be fair, though, and this is one of my running themes, though, in this playoffs, is just that I, I, I it's so hard to play defense right now in the NBA, and, um, yeah. and, and Dallas, as good as they are, I mean, there's a lot of teams right now that just look like 
they're not stoppable in the traditional sense. You just have to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, giving up 120 points, giving up 115 offensive rating in a playoff game in which you say we played good defense tonight. That just might be the norm, especially inside this bubble. Um, my next team, number eight. The Milwaukee Bucks. This is surprising. The Bucks, I think, started as yeah. number one last year uh, or last week. You look at them now. I mean, they did get, <laughs> it feels like last year. Yeah, it did feel like last year. It, it was an impressive win from them today, just in that they looked like the number one seed again. But you cannot drop. You cannot drop to the Orlando Magic. Be tied in the series after two games and expect to be in the top five of this power rankings. Not going to happen. And I'll spoil it for you. <laughs> the Lakers are right ahead of them <laughs> in number seven. Bucks and Lakers, eight I mean, seven. I, I'm just glad that you put the Lakers ahead of the Bucks. Well, they yeah. this this just this up and coming team that is just hoping to build on some momentum in these playoffs and maybe head into next year and, and help maybe yourself. you know take another step forward. Couldn't, couldn't help yourself. <laughs> um, I think both of those teams are going to be fun. I actually, you know what, the Lakers are a little bit more interesting to me. Um, they made some nice adjustments in this game. I do think they're the better team, but um, Portland, I think, is more like to have the games look like game one than game two just in terms of being competitive i mean portland could have very easily lost that game i don't think they're going to get i don't think lake the lakers solved them and it's going to be blowouts here going forward whereas with the bucks i kind of do i do think it's they're going to they're going to be able to clean up going forward um but nonetheless those teams that's where they belong and then rounding out my bottom five of the uh, top 10 if that makes sense the utah jazz <laughs> i really wanted to put them higher but they did lose. They did sort of collapse in that first game. They should be up 2-0 on Denver right now. I mean, my, in my opinion, they they were leading late. They kind of collapsed, and I should mm-hmm. say Jamal Murray and Ikliokas just took over down the stretch of game one. But that second game and the level of play that Donovan Mitchell is at right now, I don't know if you know this, Anthony. Utah sort of reinvented themselves. They really are playing this spread pick-and-roll style that even throughout the regular season they weren't fully leaned into. By virtue of some of the injuries that they've had, and I think also the opponent that they're going up against, they have really turned into a high-volume three-point shooting team. And boy, do they seem to have players that are designed to sort of that just have accepted and fit into those roles. To me, they Utah—they look like a fantastic offense. Yeah, I mean, it's been crazy. The the defense hasn't really looked that strong, and that's something that Quinn Snyder has really focused on throughout his tenure. And then. They've kind of turned into this freewheeling, offensive, really explosive team. And like you said earlier, Adam, this this bubble has really kind of shown that given the way that the rules are written and especially the way that uh, that they are executed, it's really difficult to defend. And we were, I think, already heading in this direction, but when you add everything else that's going on in the bubble, it kind of makes me wonder if there are any teams that are really going to be successful with just defensive identities uh, as the, as their kind of backbone. We saw with Utah literally recreate themselves here uh, from a defensive identity type team, or at least Quinn Snyder being a defensive-minded coach, to now saying, no, nah, you know what, let's just go out and outscore. And also, by the way, really good offense. Yeah. You know, it's been it's been wild to to watch that kind of uh, reformation from from Utah's standpoint. And like you're saying, they could very easily be be up 2-0 in this series. And that's while they've kind of figured things out on the fly. Donovan Mitchell sort of 
you know, he I, I don't think he's ever was a point guard in a traditional sense, but I think in the sense that they're using him now, the way they've been able to spread the court, he is so good at attacking downhill, and especially against this Denver team that, uh, to me, he's probably the MVP of the playoff round so far through two games. All right, into the top five, though. Number five here, Dallas, the Dallas Mavericks, the only team with a loss on their record in the top five. I th- if you cut out again, Anthony, the first five minutes of Luka Doncic's first playoff series, the Dallas teams really, like Porzingis is first, he gets thrown out in that first game. They have actually dominated the Clippers from, from that first five minutes on in this series. You could make the argument that they too should be up 2-0. Um, and, you know, we're, game three is going to be pretty pivotal. I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited to kind of see how this series ebbs and flows because I think there will be some adjustments and some things done. But Dallas unstoppable offense in the regular season we get to the postseason just as unstoppable yeah i i've been super impressed and also by like with dallas you would think because of the way everything is designed that as soon as luca goes out it just falls apart and it's just an outright unmitigated disaster but there have been some minutes and some stretches here while he's been out that it isn't so yeah. trey burke has been a revelation another story he, yeah. to the point off the bargain to, to bin. the point where, yeah, to, to where the point where 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 our friend Kirk is calling himself Burke serious face out there, and you know I I it's been it's been really fun to watch that, and you know again it gets back to the point I was talking about a second ago where the Clippers are you know you have Patrick Beverly, you have Paul George, you have Kawhi Leonard, those are three of the the better defenders at their position, maybe the best defenders at their position that the league has. They're this team that should be able to just turn a whole bunch of teams over and get out and run and and then also use isolation plays to score or whatever but no they're they're being spread out and Luca is is picking him to pieces and 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 like you said Dallas has just looked flat out like the better team yeah um, I'm curious to see how this kind of evolves, how this goes forward. But Dallas, to me, I mean, game three, if they can get that one, they're going to have some momentum, and it's going to really, I think, flip some things on their head um, mm-hmm. as that series progresses. Number four to me, now we get into the undefeated teams. I I could have switched four and three very easily, but I went with Toronto here. Some of this isn't their fault. I mean, they've been dominating that series. I think they've outscored they've, – they've, they're up like a plus 28 in just raw points or something like that in the series. I mean, they've been, they've, they've been dominating um, Brooklyn so far, but Brooklyn's just not that great of a foe. So Toronto to me, um, they look very impressive. They look like the exact type of team that is, um, you know, tailor made for this playoff run. They're deep. They've got, they know who they are. They know what they're doing. They're on a string. Um, but to me, just be part of this is just because who they're playing. I, I slotted them for behind Miami. Yeah, I think I I asked this question heading into the playoffs, which team between the Bucks and the Raptors Lakers fans would want to play? And obviously the the answer came back and most of them, I think it was like 65-35 uh were were voted in favor of the Bucks that they would they would or, or in favor of the Raptors and that they would rather play the Raptors than than see the Bucks in that first round. And over the course of these playoffs and and yes, they're playing against the Brooklyn Nets, but just in in the bubble itself the the Raptors have been super impressive, and and I've reached the point now where I think I would rather play the Bucks if I'm the Lakers than than see the Raptors out there. I just think they're a very well put together uh, playoff team, and and Nurse is probably the best coach that the NBA has right now. 
A good argument for it. And, and on Miami's end, the reason I gave them the nod um, here was just because of who they're playing, um, uh, going up against mm-hmm. a more difficult opponent and really shutting them down and, and sort of dominating that series. A less degree than, than um, the Raptors are Brooklyn, but again, a greater opponent. And I just like, I mean, th- that's another team that they just got a guy. Everywhere you look, they've got guys that do a role on that team at an extremely high level. Obviously, Jimmy Butler, but Bam Adebayo, um, you know, you look at Duncan Robinson. Duncan yeah, Robinson. They just, I, Mm-hmm. I, to me, they've been really impressive here, and I think when you just get to that top four in the second round in the East, what looks like the top four, it's going to be fun. It's going to be some heavyweight battles out, out on the East and the West. Yeah, I, I really like I really like teams that are switchy and and can defend that pick and roll and not get put into such drastic matchups and and tough spots where Donovan Mitchell is able to go at whoever has to guard him after a pick and roll. Uh, I really like teams that don't that, that that aren't so susceptible to that. And Miami is very good. Poor like Bam Adebayo. It feels unfair sometimes when when the matchup that the team might be looking for, they get it, and then Bam just says, "No, no, no. Actually, this is this is very much in my favor." Oh, here. nobody nobody uh, hunts Bam Adebayo. I mean, I really do wonder if there are two molds of center going forward. One of them is Rudy Gobert, although Gobert himself is susceptible. I mean, we might see later on in the playoffs should they advance them go up against a Dallas or go up against a. Houston, a team that's going to spread him out and really test the limits of of, the, of playing small and playing spready. But Bam Adebayo is the other version of this and might be the best one. He is mobile. He's he plays. He's strong. He's a rebounder. He's shot. He does everything. So he might. It, when you get into the playoffs and it becomes more about what you can't do than what you can. Bam Adebayo. There's very little th- few things he can't do. Yeah, get- I, I didn't mean to say that anybody was hunting him out. I just mean, you know, you would get a pick and roll like that, and I could actually hear <laughs> Indiana's sideline screaming, "Why are we? Why are we running that pick and roll there with Bam? Like, what's going on?" Just because he, he gets into that situation, and there's nobody that makes him look foolish. So number two on my list now is Boston, which leaves Houston in the top spot. We can move on to them, but Boston, I have here. Complete. They they are not just dismantling the 76ers. They are also, you know, sort of sending. Um, they they might be ending an era. It, it's been so definitive yeah. that it might be ending an era. But here's the thing, Joel Embiid. We can all agree he's a fantastic defender, right? I mean, that's what he's known for. He's a mm-hmm. rim protector. This is that Boston Celtics right now through two games, a 126 offensive rating. Again, Anthony, you've been hearing me lament this. I am not sure. I mean, because a lot of people are going to look at, you know, even the Utah series, Jokic getting smoked. You're looking at Steven Adams getting smoked. You look at some of these guys and you say, okay, that maybe that type of player can't defend. Joel Embiid, known for his defense, cannot stop. And I'm saying this, I'm not putting this all on him. The the Philadelphia Sixers with Embiid are just helpless against this Boston Celtics team that's starting Tice. Um, And it's not like he's a bad (laughs) player. I'm just saying that maybe shows you that the, the center position. Teams are getting are, are succeeding when when the center position almost has this more narrowly focused role rather than against this great defensive rim protector juggernaut, and that's that was pronounced in the regular season a little bit, but in the playoffs it just seems to have exploded, and the Celtics are right at the top of the list of teams that have been able to to sort of win this way. I have two points here that aren't even necessarily really counterpoints, but I think it's it's some context that we need to add to this one. I still don't think Embiid is in very good shape. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I've yeah. I've seen him on on a couple uh, you know situations here where he's running back down the court and there's some jiggle to him. And I'm, I'm and you know obviously this is not your typical season. 
and and stay in condition for as long as the NBA asks these guys to stay, to stay conditioned this year uh, is a big ask. But at some point, Embiid has to show some pride in, in his professionalism here and get in shape and actually be the dominant big that 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 uh, he his numbers and and his stature would 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 paint him to be. Then the second thing here is that Philadelphia, our, our friend Kyle Newbeck uh, of Philly Voice wrote a really good article talking about all of the 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 f ups that led to this version of the of Philly's roster and you look at the way they're kind of put together you can make a real good case that all four of their highest paid players play either power forward or center and you know in in, in the case of Horford and Bede and Simmons you could even say that all three of those guys are probably fives uh, or some version of a five and. I just don't think, you know, with with the other pieces that are around them, it's necessarily fair to really judge Embiid because it's such a... Man, a I don't a, know about that. I mean, come on. We're talking... Again, we're talking about... A it's guy. not a very good roster, of man. Course, no, it's just, of course. It's, of course. Absolutely. But again, we talked about a few years back, of you have an anchor of a player. There's some players, you have them on his te- your team, you're a good offense. You have them on your team, you're a good defense. That's just no longer yeah. the case. And they have defenders. It's not that... That's they're, fair. They're lacking in some of the scoring stuff, but Embiid has scored. It just doesn't matter anymore. And that's the point I'm making. Um, so... And again, we're talking about the best offensive rating inside the bubble. This isn't a thing of like, oh, they're giving up a little bit here. Giving up a lot. They're giving up 126, a historic number through two games. Um, But we have to move on. I know as much as I'm enjoying this, we have to move on. And that takes me to the final team here, which is the Houston Rockets, which, (laughs) again, they've been fantastic. It's funny. We talked about going into this uh, playoffs. We talked about our number one series, OKC Houston. That one's over. It's not over, over, but it's 2-0, and it hasn't been close in this one. And by the way, they've been doing it in large part thanks to their incredible defense. uh, 106 defensive rating so far through uh, two games, 106.7. Of course, they score at this ridiculous rate as well, even though their three-point shot hasn't quite gone nuclear yet. But they're guarding, and that's the thing about this that I find so interesting. If Houston, if this isn't just a matchup thing with Oklahoma City, if this is who they are defensively, the intensity, the versatility, the sort of just cohesiveness and on a string, then Houston kind of, they they do belong in this number one spot, and especially as vulnerable as teams like the Lakers, teams like the Bucks, teams like the Clippers have looked, Maybe Houston is pushing themselves and can push themselves back into that conversation of saying, hey, we're in that tier one as well. I think in the NBA on defense, you have to be able to switch. Like just flat out, you have to be able to I mean, switch it's going that probably way. one through five. You know, it's going and, that and, and I think, and I think, you know, with, with Houston, they can basically switch one through five. So. You you know you're forcing teams like with Chris Paul he has to be in the in in the pick and roll, and and, and if you can switch it then you know Chris Paul's value is as as evidenced by his negative thirty six uh, plus minus in in last night's game he's just a very different player and we talked we just finished talking about Joel Embiid and his probably biggest problem is the fact that he can't switch onto a one and feel very comfortable there and and what makes Adebayo probably more valuable as a defensive presence is the fact that he can and with Houston now I am kind of one I am kind of curious whether or not they're able to play this hard for you know however long it takes to win 16 games but 
you know, right now in this series, in, in at least this smallest sample size, that defense being able to switch everything basically and, and be able to swarm everything basically, I, I there are some teams that, you know, you just look at, watch, you know, as as a former player, albeit not a very good one, you watch a defense a defense sometimes and you say, No, I would not want to go up against that. It's just it's traps everywhere and it's swarming and they're all playing way faster than you are. So even if you do get an opportunity, you're not going to be comfortable shooting it because you're probably playing it at a, at a speed that's above where you're normally uh, used to. And and Houston is just they're incredible so far. I they're far and away the most impressive team to, in my opinion to this point. Shouts to Jeff Green, 18 and a half points, the second leading scorer on uh, the Houston Rockets through two games and he's also now 6 of 13 from behind the three-point line in two games. So, <laughs> uh found money there in Jeff Green. Yeah, I I was so annoyed that the Lakers didn't go there and they wound up with J.R. Smith and Deion Waiters instead. He would not have looked like this uh, for, for the Lakers. He would have been the old Jeff Green. Probably for the Lakers. not. No, of course. <laughs> Come on, man. of course not. But he he also wouldn't be on Houston. Like well, he, there you he, go. He wouldn't yeah. be doing. No. He wouldn't be doing this for Houston. It was just such a perfect fit for them. And and you know what, I, I I do as 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 much as it would suck to see Houston beat the clip or the Lakers on their way to a, a championship. It would be good to see D'Antoni win a championship, not just in any year, just given what he's done or helped do for the sport, but especially this year, where this is the nth degree example of D'Antoni ball, and it looks so good. Uh, now, he's evolved, and the team actually cares about defense, but... but uh, it would be cool to watch, you know, the the micro ball, not just seven seconds or less, but micro ball actually go out there and win a championship. I, I'd be I'd, that'd be kind of one of the feel good stories of the season. If you say so, they look good though. <laughs> they look good. I mean, I, I I think him winning this year. I do think at some point the league is going to have to do something about the way these guys are defended. Like I watched Dame Lillard go. Anthony Davis had a foul called on him today when he was running away from from Dame. He was and Dame happened to run into him as as Davis is actively trying not to foul, and Dame gets that foul there. And then you look at you know guys, you know bigger guys going to the going to the basket, and there's just a significant more amount of of, of physicality there that's allowed that makes it so much easier for. The Dames and the Mitchells and the Hardens and and the Westbrooks to and you know they play a cool style of basketball and they're cool brands and all that stuff. But I don't think making the NBA as soft as it's as it's becoming is a very sustainable model moving forward. But you said it. it it's what it, those are the popular players and they're putting up some ridiculous numbers. They're the ones that people are are wanting to see and um, you know and we'll see. You know, team these things always seem to evolve. They always seem to go one direction. But I do agree. Right now, very perimeter oriented. I mean, that's one of the things that sticks out so much. Just how much the game is being played outside in, and it always has been to a certain extent. But we're talking about guys five out attacking off the dribble in isolation, attacking off a very minimal um, sort of pick and roll play, one pass getting the shot up i mean houston 54 three-point attempts per game in this playoffs four teams taking over 40 the the i mean we, it just keeps moving we talk about this all the time but the trend line just keeps moving in that direction and um it, it, it's it's so far right now in that in that direction that it, it's almost absurd yep i i don't think it's almost absurd 
That's going to do it for this episode and this week's episodes of the Locked On NBA podcast. Make sure you guys, again, are tuned in, not just to this feed as, as these weeks and games go along, but all of the local stories covered by all of your local experts, uh, regardless of which team that you're that you're following. And then whatever team, if, you, if it looks like your team might be moving forward, this is probably a really good way to, to uh, inform yourself on whatever opponent that they might be getting ready to play against as well. That's not even counting the baseball podcasts out there, football podcasts, uh, plenty hockey podcasts, uh, plenty of stuff to, to keep you guys uh, occupied as we go through this super unique stretch of, of sports history. Have a great, safe weekend, and Adam and I will talk to you guys next Friday.